Welcome to Two Idiots, One Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Bailey. And Bailey, before we start talking about our movie today, I just want to talk to you about something that's near and dear to my heart. Okay, what do you got for me today? Summer camp. Summer camp? Yeah. You ever been to summer camp? Um, I went to a summer camp type thing once when I was like 11, and the first night that I was there, I had them call my parents to come pick me up because I was hot and not having a super jolly good one. Okay, that's maybe the most depressing thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, the only time I've ever been to camp, I was there for less than 12 hours before I was crying, begging them to call my parents to come get me because I was miserable. (laughs) Okay, well, mine wasn't really a happy story either because I've never been to, like, actual summer camp, you know? This wasn't a summer camp. It was just a camp-like thing. Right, because I think that summer camp would involve, like, various activities like archery, um canoeing stuff like that you know campfires ghost stories yeah going out and having a sleeping bag session or whatever when you're like out in the wilderness like the uh like jason sleeping bag sessions no that's totally different not not relevant but i went to um went to like a like a church camp type thing and for a week that was the first time that i was actually on my own you know and i was this was like sixth grade so i didn't really understand the concept of food all that well um so my parents gave me it was my mom gave me a limit of what like not like a limit but a amount of money that i could spend on like food and stuff right so i for some weird reason thought the best concept would be to not eat the food that was provided and just load up on like you know chicken wings and candy and soda that's not a good idea. Oh, it wasn't a good idea because for five days, right? So we slept on bunk beds. Okay. And I was on the top bunk and I will I will never forget it because I I remember I sat up. It was last night. It was literally the last night. Nothing had happened. And I just like bolted upright, got wide-eyed, leaned over the railing and threw up everywhere. That's embarrassing. I was super embarrassing. Everybody like wakes up and I'm just like dying everywhere. It's all coming out of me. It's a week's worth of food that it was really bad for me just you know everywhere and i i don't know but there was i was making this noise too because like i don't know if you've ever heard me throw up but it's not pleasant so i don't have any memory of hearing you throw up but Mm -hmm. based on our personal histories together i'm confident i've heard you throw up plenty of times yeah probably it's something like (sighs) like a like that you know that reminds me of today's movie actually oh Okay, <laughs> I like how you just jumped into that. Don't want to have this conversation anymore. No, I'm sorry, continue. Oh no, it's okay. I was just saying like how how embarrassed I was about everything because everybody like jumps up and they, you know, have their flashlights and are looking at everything, which was vomit everywhere. And uh, yeah, that was that was a really embarrassing time for me, and I I don't know why I did that, but like summer camp was not fun for that reason. And that's why I don't think I ever went to like an official summer camp was just because of that. Because I'll I'll never, I don't know. Most people say that when you, when you hear me throw up, you never forget the noise. That's funny. So, but yeah, what, what movie are we talking about today, Bailey, since you're just going to jump into it? Well, no. So that noise that you're making reminds me of the noise that, uh, Felisa Rose made in, uh, Sleepaway Camp, which is today's movie. I'll love me some Sleepaway Camp. It was directed by Robert, or written and directed by Robert Hiltzik. Don't even know who that is. The writer and director for Sleepaway Camp. Well, no, I know that, but like... I know. I'm just being an asshole. Being an asshole, okay. Yeah. So. You go, You okay? You kind of got a little burpsy there? 
No, I was trying not to make the noise again, and then I think I just like burped a little bit. And it kind of, I don't know, it came out weird, but I didn't want to do it directly into the mic, so. No, I feel that, brother. I apologize for that awkward little introduction. But um, anyway, you want me to do a five-sentence summary on this one? Yeah. So I'm going to do this one with quotes from the movie. You're going to use movie quotes to do a five-second summary for the movie? Well, five-sentence summary. Five-sentence, I'm sorry. I don't know why I said second. Yeah. Okay. You ready? Yeah, hit me with it. Look at all them young, fresh chickens. I don't know if you can say that, but continue. Yeah. Eat shit and live, Bill. Why do you have to kiss so wet? I got him. Just like I promised you, Meg. And... <sighs> which isn't really a quote. It's just me making noises. But I think that sums up the whole movie. Huh? I mean, surprisingly. Yeah. I picked some quotes because those, those were also some of my favorite quotes from the movie that were absolutely ridiculous. But we'll get into that later. Everything about this movie is ridiculous, and that's why I love it. Oh, so if you were to, you know, rank it on a scale from one to five. So I actually feel like I usually go first, so I'm going to deflect to you this time. Oh, okay. I thought it was just the natural way of things because you brought it up, and I was just jumping on that train. No, I feel you. It's just, it's normally, normally it would be me, but I, I'm feeling like hearing what you have to say first. So I have two scores for this one. I have an actual score, and I have a me score i'm gonna call it the me score right because i give this movie a five out of five because it is ridiculous like it's it's a really bad movie which is why if you don't look at this from a fun perspective then it is easily a one out of five like it is a hot piece of garbage but if you go into it thinking that it's going to be a fun movie that's absurd and really dumb and so when you watch it it's a lot more fun easily a five out of five for me Okay, and what's your general score, your overall like audience score? Oh, uh, one out of five, easy. Like it's it's not a good movie. It is it is really bad. It is a blatant rip off of Friday the Thirteenth, which I think is a better movie. Um, but yeah, no, I give it a one out of five because it's not a good movie. There are some horrible acting in it, and oh yeah, but no, but that's why I love the movie because of how bad it is. Because it's not good. So, yeah, for general audience score, one out of five. But if you go into it knowing that it's a stupid movie and you're looking for a fun time and it's just one of those that you're like, dude, you have got to see this movie, easily a five out of five. Unbelievable. Okay. <laughs> Judging by your facial expressions, you do not agree with me. So what would your score be? So my my overall score for, like, general audiences and personal score is a four. Really? Yeah. So hear me out on this. I agree okay. with you that it's uh, it's very campy it's pretty typical it's got a lot of elements that are like could potentially be perceived as ripoffs of like previous movies including like the first person like kill cams at times which was done before this in halloween oh uh, and the whole concept of a camp massacre or whatever right was done before that right yeah. and so i'm not saying that it's like a wholly original idea or anything like wild or crazy like that but the acting is you use the word bad. I would say that it was over the top and campy, but I think that's a good thing. No. I think that uh, the practical effects were good on some of the kills. I say some of the kills because some of the kills didn't look good. But there were that some that were, like, really spectacular, which I know we generally don't touch on right now. Yeah, we'll talk about that in the review. But I would I would give this a 4 out of 5 for general audiences and myself as long as, you know, you recognize that it is a campy movie like it's not supposed to be scary it's not supposed to be 
anything like that. It's supposed to be funny and shocking. Yeah, it's an absurd movie. And that's why it's a five out of five if you go into it knowing that. Right. But, I mean, no, if you go into this looking to, like, have your, you know, pants scared off or something like that, you're not going to have a good time. But if you go into it knowing that it's a campy, fun horror movie that's, you know, campy fun, then you will enjoy it immensely. And for those of you that are wondering what the actual movie is about, it is set in a camp. It's a camp, Arawak. And basically it follows a boy whose name is Richie. Ricky, not Richie. It's not Richie Rich. It's Ricky. I'm sorry. I don't know why I said that. Like Ricky Jarvis? No. But it's got Ricky um, and his cousin Angela who are going to a summer camp. And Angela was in a really bad boating accident with her brother and father who did not make it. And that's why she's living with her cousin. And Angela finds love. Angela finds hate. Angela just ends up getting fucking weird with things. But that's okay. Because this movie is about the triumph of Angela overcoming all these things from being the quiet and shy girl who does not talk that everybody thinks is weird in order to blossoming into something more where she's actually speaking to boys and she's trying to get jiggy with it. That's a really interesting uh, summary for this movie. (laughs) Yeah, if you if you look at it from that, it's literally the story of overcoming trauma, the trauma of seeing your brother and father die and live with your really crazy aunt. So, we're not really doing like spoilers right now yet, are we? No, we're not doing spoilers. We'll, we'll save the spoilers for the end because like I want this. This is one of those movies that you have to go in order with it because of the ending. Right. I mean, I agree that it makes more sense to yeah. do it that way. But I just want to, like, say, since you brought up the mother. Yeah. In the very opening scenes with the mother, you can tell she's, like, mildly unhinged. And I think that's fine. That is an understatement. Well, at least mildly unhinged. She could be severely unhinged, but it's at least mild. And that much is, like, glaringly obvious from the opening scenes of this film. So what are the opening scenes of this film? Well, so the very opening scenes are... um, it's Angela and her brother and father, presumably. Yes. In um, the water, and it shows um, a different group of people, like two teenagers, and or I guess they might not be teenagers. Two. I think they're supposed to be teenagers. Two people on a boat with another young person on a boat, like water skiing behind them, or what's yeah, it called when you're standing on water a ski? Skiing. Water yeah. ski. Yeah. So water skiing behind them, and they're arguing over who's going to be the driver, and. Eventually, what happens is the boat, because they aren't paying attention, hits the father and the brother of Angela. And I guess Angela is also hit. Yeah. Don't worry, I have a quote from that one. Somebody please help them. The boat. Look out for the boat. There's a boat. Oh, my God. Yeah, I wrote that down because it was so over the top and stupid. So, I agree with over the top, but... I wouldn't use the term stupid. I would use the term campy because it was fun. Oh, okay. It was that. That's what sets the tone for this movie. Is that, and then we get into the next scene, which I, I have down as crazy fucking ant. Yeah, I, uh, I basically what I have written down for that is, it's obvious from the very beginning that she's like super unhinged, like well, just in the way she's talking and how she's like, I'm a doctor, so hmm. I can. I can, you know, write these notes, like, don't tell people how I gave you your physicals, but I've got them right here, but I'm a doctor, so it's okay. 
did you get all of your apples or did I pack them? Hmm. Hmm. And for for those of you that are listening that have never seen this movie, if you don't want to see this movie, I highly encourage you just to watch the part with the ant and her acting because it is it is spectacularly bad. I feel like the director was literally like, I want you to just be over-the-top psychotic because she goes, oh, I feel like there was something I was supposed to tell you, but... Oh, I wrapped a piece of twine around my finger to remember. I have your physicals here, but don't tell them how you got them. But I can write them because I'm a doctor, you see. <laughs> I mean, so I didn't know you, I didn't realize like you're not looking at anything. I didn't realize you had that scene basically memorized because that's exactly how it is. Yeah, because it's so over the top and like stupid. I think it's fun. I, no, no, it is, but that—that's what I'm saying. Like this I feel like "stupid" is such a derogatory word to describe it when "campy" is a better word. Okay, fine. It's a very—it's a very dumb, campy movie. So you're using "dumb." I don't like. I feel like. I feel like that's rude. Okay, I'm sorry. The the move. I like the movie. I no, do, I, I, know, I know you do. I know you do. But it's it's absurd. The ant is absurd. Is that a better word? Yeah, absurd, absurd is certainly a better word. I don't know. I feel like. I don't know. I feel like it's fun. I feel like it all goes well. Well, and it's really, really funny because you can tell in this scene that Ricky doesn't really like his mom because he's like, oh my God, stop talking already when she says all these weird things. And you can tell he's just, he's ready to go. He's He wants to go to Camp Arawak. And she's like, hmm, did I pack that? Did I remember? Oh, bye. Have fun, my sweet little Ricky and my darling Angela. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how it goes. Sorry, I really like this movie. But anyway, I'll let you continue with your your next scene that you want to talk about. So basically that what the next scene is, is the kids arriving at Camp Arawak. You mean, look at all them young, fresh chickens. Where I come from, we'll call them baldies. So, yes, yeah, so what um, Taylor's quoting now is there's a very apparent child predator in the opening scene when they arrive at... Uh, Camp Arawak. Yeah. Arawak. 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 Well, they never actually say it. You just kind of read it. So I'm not really sure if it's pronounced Arawak or Arawak. Uh, Camp Arawak. I have no idea. But but yeah, so it arrives. There's like a clear child predator doing child predator stuff or saying child predator stuff. He hasn't doing anything yet. But nobody, nobody stops him because it, so literally and I wrote this down because I thought that it was absurd was the the cook's name is Artie. Yeah. So Artie, look at all them young fresh chickens. Where I come from, we call them baldies. And immediately after he says that, Ben, who is one of the other cooks, and he's he's older um, than Artie, he goes, Artie, they're too young to even understand what's on your mind. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Well, so that's something that I thought that would be fun to talk about, or fun might not be the proper word, but interesting at least. Mm-hmm is how like clearly like what we would consider these guys predators or maybe not these guys because the person who just acknowledged that he was being a predator didn't actually do anything no i think it's i think it's just already right but well i mean also the other head counselor dude is kind of a predator with meg you mean mel mel yeah we'll, we'll get into that later right. though but what i'm saying but that's also that's in the same line as this it's interesting how uh openly like child predators were portrayed in movies back then 
Yeah, because he's like this is a whole like two or three scenes of him just being weird as fuck to kids. Yeah, and everybody kind of just laughs about it. Yeah, everybody around him's like, "Oh, you're funny, Artie. You don't really mean that you're gonna do this." And it's interesting how like much the social climate has changed because me personally, if I was anywhere and I had like someone say that, I would immediately like it would be an issue. It would be an immediate issue, even if I thought they were joking, because while I joke about inappropriate things sometimes, Mm -hmm. that's too like on the nose of something that everyone knows is fucked up. Right. Or pretty much everyone knows some cultures are still down with kitty diddling but i'm not going to talk about that here no no i I understand what you're saying it's like a universal or not a universal but like a societal norm especially where we live of don't say that don't don't say it don't think it don't like do do it it. don't articulate it to your buddy that it's something that's funny because like it's not yeah you don't just look at him and go we call them baldies yeah that's that's like a fucked up thought to have yeah no that being said it's hilarious and in the context of this movie i think it's okay because of a when the movie was made and b i guess this was like what 83 i think when this movie came out yeah so it was wrong back then but it was still something that was like openly joked about Mm -hmm. and i feel like this is supposed to have taken place in like the 60s or 70s rather than the 80s but that could also just be like a misinterpretation on my part. I, I think so because of the shorts that they wear yeah, so are very 80s. Yeah. 80s? Yeah, you know how they had like those, like the 70s and 80s, the gym shorts that they would wear that yeah. were basically assless chaps at this point? But but uh, I want to just finish my thoughts so yeah, it's not like, isn't misinterpreted because where we ended it was weird. Right. But, but I think it's okay for the context of this movie because of the time period it was made. And because that motherfucker gets what's coming to him. You know oh, what I'm yeah. saying? Like, like, that's not the next scene, but that's about two scenes away. Yes. No, because that, that's the next scene that I have. That's the next scene I have written down because it's the next important scene. Right. So, basically, um, I think the oh, the only other important thing to talk about here um, is when they get off. Uh, what, what's his name? Um, Ricky and Angela are walking down and ricky's talking to angela about something and then all of a sudden uh what's his fucking name uh paul comes up and paul says to ricky have you seen judy and he goes no and she and he looks at her and goes oh she's got some and then makes the gesture that she has you know some huge melons and i think that that is important because it introduces paul's character yeah as Kind of a sleaze bag. Kind of. Well, I mean, he's like a horny 13-year-old. Yeah, no, he's a horny 13-year-old, so he's not trying to be like... But he's a sleaze bag, but so... And it also introduces Judy, which we'll talk about. Yeah, I mean, wait, I just want to defend his behavior for a second. Boys, well, he's a horny 13-year-old boy. Yeah, do you remember how you were when you, when you went to school and, like, you're, you started noticing yeah. people in puberty? Like, I remember for me, it was like the episode of South Park where they're just like, whoo, 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 whoo. Yeah, no, that's what it was. It's, you know, this instant, like, oh, my God. Yeah, so you know what he's experiencing. That's not weird. He, I don't know if you can call a 13-year-old for a sleaze bag for being horny. Yeah, that no, seems he like definitely is because of what he does to Angela. I mean, he's a shitty person for yeah. sure. But, but he's also, he's a horny teenage you, boy. You can't use horniness as a justification for him being shitty. It's because he's shitty. No, it's because he's a 13-year-old boy. I don't know. I don't think I would have been like that at 13. Maybe. I don't know. It's hard to say. Continue. I don't know. I think that 13-year-old boys are 
you know, dumb. Yeah, for sure. And we do dumb things. And we think with our dicks more than anything because hormones are raging. When I was 13, I didn't think of anything. No, I mean, that's definitely understandable. You know. But anyway, let's talk about Artie's death. So before we talk about Artie's death, we should talk about uh, the scene that we are supposed to be led to believe that caused his death. Oh, yeah. So to set up that scene, um, Angela's not eating or saying anything. So Ronnie, like the head camp counselor dude, who's not Mel, because Mel's like the camp director. He's like the owner or like producer or some kind of chairman or something. Yes. Um, But yeah, so he comes and he sees that Angela's not eating and he's like been informed that she's not eating. So he basically... Um, goes and talks to her, and he's like, hey, I noticed that you're not eating. Do you not like the food? I can take you back to the head chef, and we can get you some, we can get you some, like, food to eat that you like. We can get, like, ice cream or something. Yeah, because that's what he thinks the issue is. And then he hands her off to Artie, which we've just discussed is the, like, child predator. And if it wasn't abundantly clear, it becomes abundantly clear when he puts his arm around her and goes, We'll find you something that you like. So find you something real nice. Yeah, and then takes her into the private walk-in and starts unbuttoning his pants. Because the walk-in's always got something. Yeah. Yeah, and then he starts unbuttoning his pants, and that's when uh, Ricky realizes that Angela has disappeared and gets the info from... Oh, I have her name wrote down. I can't remember. I just call her the queen bitch. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think the name's... Yeah. Yeah, uh, Meg, who is, well, actually the Wicked Witch of the West, I think is what they call her. Um, but she says that if she, well, what is it? She's with Artie, or she uh, went to the walk-in to go get food. And if she talked anymore, then she'd be dead or something along those lines. It's really weird. Uh, it was if she talked any less, she'd, she'd be, be dead. dead. That was it. Um, and then Ricky, you know, busts in there as he's about to, you know, do his child predator thing. And he's like, what are you doing? And that's when he, like, shoves him up to, and says, you don't say anything about this. You hear me? Yeah. Um, however, I will note, on screen, there's no actual, like... No. Yeah, there's no actual, like, child assault or abuse or anything. No, he literally unbuttons his pants, or he undoes his belt. belt and then starts to unzip his pants, which is when Ricky yeah. comes through the door. So nothing is seen. It is just very heavily implied that if Ricky had not have shown up, this is what would happen. Exactly. But don't worry. Don't stress. Don't feel too bad about it because... The, the next scene. Yeah, the next scene already gets his. So essentially what happens is, in a very, like halloween-esque way it becomes a first person camera of showing a short person walking around the kitchen Mm -hmm. and you can see already like up on like i don't know i would say it's probably like a 10 foot pot yeah it's it's definitely one of those pots that you use to make a gigantic amount of food in so i would say that it's it's pretty big it's probably as tall as him it's to the point where when it's on the stove he needs to get a stool yeah, it's it's tall enough that a full-grown person who was, like, thin enough could slide inside of it. And let's, for argument's sake, say he's, like, six foot. He can reach up and touch the top of it, and with his extension would probably add about a foot or whatever. So it's probably seven feet on top of the stove. It, with the stove and everything, it's probably, like, seven feet. So I don't know. Yeah, but he, so he's standing on this uh, 
I don't know, like stool. Like it's not yeah. like actual steps. It's not like an actual like thing to get yourself up. It is basically the stool that Ben is sitting on when he is shucking corn. Yeah. So he's standing on it to where he can get leverage to like check the stuff in the pot. And it's important to know that he's like standing on like his tippy toes. Yes. So he's not super secure on it. And he's leaning in a way to where he's using a lot of his weight and like his arms and stuff. So he's kind of like holding onto the pot when um, an unseen person comes and starts removing the stool from him. Which he lets us know that it is a child. Yeah. That it is not a full-grown adult, it is a child. Yeah, if the uh, child-sized point-of-view camera didn't tell you, or like set it off for you, his uh, words. Yeah, because he's like, what are you doing here, kid? Stop that. Yeah, exactly. But the kid essentially removes the thing, and all of this boiling water and whatever was cooking gets like doused all over uh, Artie. Yeah, his whole body is covered. And this is my favorite kill. I know that he doesn't die. This is my favorite kill, though, because I'm going to call it a kill. Well, it's not confirmed that he dies. We just, I mean, there is a very good chance that he does die because that was boiling water that was covering all of his body and it's like third degree burns it know? literally shows him getting hauled away to the hospital you don't know if he died at the hospital i mean that's fair as far as we know he didn't die yeah he could have died but um so this is my favorite kill in it because the practical effects or i don't know if it's practical effects i assume it is when his face is bubbling up when he yeah. gets the hot water pulled on it is so fucking awesome it's like tom sabini shit yeah it's like that's like high level body horror yeah no i liked that but he gets boiled yeah. You guys literally have Artie dies, gets boiled, and then they, uh, for some weird reason, play baseball. It's like a game where they have different, the next scene is like different bunkhouses playing baseball against each other, and this is where the line, uh, eat shit and live Bill comes from, which I thought was just fucking hilarious when I heard him say that. Oh yeah, a lot of the dialogue in this is really good. Yeah, because Bill goes, uh, eat shit and die, Ricky, and then he immediately goes, eat shit and live Bill. Oh my god, that's crazy. That's the only thing I want to talk about because that... I mean, well, I guess the importance of the scene is that it sets up the rivalry between Ricky and Bill for the later parts of the movie. Yeah. Because he's mad that he lost to a child at baseball. I mean, sucks to suck, man. But I can't tell if he's a child or not. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the ages of people in here are kind of hard. Okay, well, like, take Judy, okay? I think Judy is supposed to be the same age as Ricky, yeah, right. but she looks like she's like 17. Easy. Yeah. And I think she's supposed to be 13 in this one. If not, I would say the youngest that they would do would be 15. Yeah. I think that's a stretch. Yeah, I think she's supposed to be like 13 or 14, but she's clearly like 17, 18, maybe older. She might be the one of the legal adults in this movie because some of them looked... Well, there were definitely some quote-unquote children in this movie that were adults right that be and then that being said there were also some people that were older that looked a lot younger like what how old was felisa rose in this 13 13 yeah she was 13 this this was oh and by the way um we're gonna we'll we'll talk about this i'll get there never mind so for some reason i thought she was older no she was 13 when she did this was like a breakout role but the the next part is they're at the social and I just want to say her eating this candy bar is how she got the role. Like, the the whole audition was they wanted someone that could convey this, like, creepiness, you know? And the 
objective was eat a candy bar and don't say anything. And the way that Felicia Rose ate this candy bar was an instant, that's her. That's Angela. Because she does it super creepy. And I just, I don't know, I really like that. I feel that. But uh, this leads to the startup of our next death where Kenny comes over because him and Bill want to go skinny dipping with a bunch of people. And they think that it would be funny to ask Angela to go skinny dip with them because she's weird. Which obviously she's going to say no. Well, no, she's not going to say anything. She's just going to sit there and look at him. That's that's, that's non-speaking person for no. For no. Right. She doesn't acknowledge him. She just kind of looks at him and stares and then they basically make fun of her. Yeah. Talking shit. Yeah. They talk a lot of shit. Sorry. Which causes um, Ricky to come over there and get like real mad. Yeah. So, you know, a fight breaks out. Everybody else is like, fuck off. And then they start swimming. And Kenny is an asshole. Is that his name? I think, I think so. And he yeah. flips the canoe or boat or whatever we want to call it. Well, no, it's a canoe because he gets one of the girls to go out there with him. And he's like, oh, don't put your hand in there. At this time of night, the water snakes come out and the snapping turtles. And he starts, whoa, we're going to fall and rocks the boat and eventually flips it over. Yeah. And then the girl, you know, fucks off because she's like, you're an asshole. Yeah. And he, for some weird reason, I don't understand the scene because he goes underneath the canoe to flip it over, which was understandable. But then he starts like talking to himself so, or acting like she's there, even though he saw her swim away. So I can explain this scene. Okay. And you're an asshole and that's why you don't get it. Okay. <laughs> so normal people like to have fun. Yeah. Like fun is something that they uh, seek. So mm-hmm. what what the reason, in my opinion, which I don't actually know, and I don't actually think you're an asshole. I was just trying to be funny. No, it's okay. I'm an asshole, but go ahead. But um, it probably it was probably because of the echo. Because I don't know if you've ever been in like a canoe or in a situation like that, but it sounds weird uh-huh. because he was singing. Like that's what he was doing. He was doing like oh, okay. he was like singing some. I wish I could remember. I wish I'd written it down. But he was singing a song because. It sounded cool under the or under the canoe with the water bouncing. Right. Like I'm almost 100% confident that that's uh, what they were trying to uh, articulate. Well, because then what happens is somebody pops up, which you can you can kind of I don't know. At this point, it looks like it's somebody pops up basically, and he's like, "What are you doing here?" And then all of a sudden, his head goes down, and he doesn't even try to fight. Yeah. So that's something. This is my least favorite kill. Because he just goes, oh. It doesn't make any sense, especially after the reveal of who the killer is, which I'm not going to reveal it now. Well, no, it doesn't make any sense, especially when you consider the fact that when the kid's body is getting hauled away because it gets found the next day, um, Ronnie goes, you know, I really thought that kid was a good swimmer. Yeah. Because if you're, even if your head is being held underwater, if you're a good swimmer, you probably wouldn't panic in that situation as much as he, well, he didn't even panic. He kind of just accepted it and moved on with his life. He was like, oops, I'm dead. Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. No, that one doesn't make sense at all. But then um, Ronnie, or not Ronnie, Paul and Angela start to get a little uh, friendly with each other. And Judy doesn't like this. That'll be relevant later. Because Judy's a bitch. Dude, she's just super jelly and needs the attention. Oh, but one thing I do want to talk about is when they prank Mozart. Prank Mozart? Yeah, when they fill his hand with, uh, oh, with, with the shaving cream and then tickle his nose. 
And his like immediate reaction is to, to grab this his knife. Is to grab his knife and fucking stab him. Like there is no like, oh, you're a dick or anything. His immediate reaction is fuck you. Is fuck you. Grabs the hunting knife and then chases him around the cabin. Yeah, it was really silly. Yeah, I was like, I re- I just wanted to bring that to attention because it was like, why does this kid immediately choose violence? Yeah, no, it was super super silly. So then the next memorable thing would be when. Um, or is there anything that you want to talk about? Because I was going to jump to the water balloons. Uh, I was going to jump to the bees. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Then now, yeah, we're in the same place. Go ahead. Okay. So basically what happens is they're walking by. It's, you know, Paul's getting kind of freaky deaky with Angela at this time because she's, you know, spoken to him and shit. Ooh. And um, Ricky's also walking by and Bill and his crew, his cabin, I guess, are having a water balloon fight with themselves on top of the roof, which made zero sense. I'm like, why are they on the roof for that one? But it was 1980. It's a different time back then. They're having fun. Yeah, they're having fun on the roof. So then they see Angela and think that it'd be funny to pelt her with a water balloon. Which it would be. Yeah, it would be funny. But that causes Ricky to go, like, completely fucking Mozart, is what I'm going to call it, where he's like, I'll fucking kill you. I'll kill all of you. And, you know, Mel's, like, restraining him. Real emotional. He gets, like, super emotional. But then after that, Bill's like, I'll catch up with you guys. I gotta go take a mean, fat shit. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I don't need to know that. But he grabs a magazine and sits down. And then you see uh, Mozart's hunting knife rip open the screen. And he's like, what are you guys doing? Can't you do take a shit in peace? So this is something I want to talk about because he gets the, like, the board is placed over the door. Yeah, the or the broom handle. The or broom, I'm whatever. sorry. Well, it's a it's a stick that looks like a broom handle. I don't know. It doesn't really matter because the door's locked. But so he ends up breaking out. Like, I'm sorry. I'm just way jumping ahead. Yeah. No. Okay. So basically somebody sticks in a beehive on a stick in the hole of the screen and shakes it while this dude is pooping. Right. And then, you know, he's trying to bust on out of there and he can't. And then eventually he breaks it. Right. And dies. So I like this kill. Like, I thought this kill was fun because mm-hmm. especially after it shows his body, like, the practical effects, once again, are pretty good yeah. for how short it shows it. With, like, the bees. The bees. But it's kind of annoying because, like, there's no way that he would not be able to break out initially. And then after he's essentially dead because he dies right when he gets out. Yeah. There's no way that he wouldn't have been able to do it when he was at full strength, not super stung the fuck up. And then suddenly, right before he dies, he all of a sudden has the power to break out. Well, and I'm thinking, like, why didn't he just jump on top of the toilet and, like, catapult himself over the door? Because, like, it you can, you can tell that it's an open stall concept. So even yeah. if he couldn't crawl underneath it for whatever reason, he could hop on the toilet yeah. and vault over the door. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't know. It was really silly, but it's fun. No, it, it was fun. It, it was done very well. All right, what's the next scene that you want to talk about? So, um, I mean, that's like... So, the next scene that I actually have written down is the uh, dance. Okay. But there's not, like, anything super relevant. It's just interesting, like, character building because during when they're at the dance, you can see that uh, Mel is looking for Megan because he was supposed to meet up with her. Oh, yeah, because she gets the night off, and her immediate reaction to getting the night off is to go up to him and be like, Mel, I got the night off, and he's like, that's fucking cool, I guess. Why are you talking to me? And then she goes, do you remember that 
date we were supposed to have at your place and then he immediately stops what he's doing and goes yeah were you serious really we're gonna do this and she's like nine o'clock yeah super child predatory shit super child predatory but that's the next thing i have and the only reason that it's relevant is because um it's character building well and it explains why meg is where she's at exactly and it explains you know why mel's reaction is what it is yeah no like that was that was one i was going to talk about so i'm glad we're on like the same page as that okay um you got this you want me to do do the kill yeah so meg is going into the cabin and judy's doing something and she's like got a hot date tonight and judy's like with who and she goes it's a secret because she knows she's about to like fuck an old man and you can't just you know say that yeah so she uh, ends up, and I, I love this scene because she walks into the shower line and goes, is there any way that you guys would let me cut in front of you? And then all three of them turn simultaneously and just give her this death glare. And she goes, that's what I thought. And walks out and then goes next door to the showers that are not being used. And while she's showering, you see the door come open and the hunting knife uh, come out. And what ends up happening is she's, you know, doing her thing, which I've never really understood. Like, I hate shower scenes in movies because the way that they shower is just so weird. How do you shower? Okay, so in this scene, she would have been, like, actually, like, she she has soap in her hand and then is, like, barely touching her collar with it. I'm like, dude, you gotta, if you're actually in the shower trying to spruce up for a date with an old man, you're gonna be, like, you know vigorously getting at it with the soap right every part of your body is going to be covered in soap because you're going to smell good and she's just like la di da di da di you know barely you know doing like with soap does that make sense so i don't know how they showered back then but me personally like if i'm in a situation where i'm using like an actual bar of soap yeah if i'm putting it on my skin which i generally don't i generally put it on a rag and then put the rag on my skin but if i am using the bar directly I don't rub super hard because it wastes the uh, soap bar and it makes my skin like red. You know what I'm saying? I do everything super violently, apparently. Listen, bud, if you need to talk, we can wait until we're done recording and then like and have that conversation. Yeah, because you don't need to be violent. You can you can make love and not Warcraft. Okay, okay. (laughs) Anyway, while she's doing this, she gets you know backstabbed. And then the blade goes, like, down. She makes really weird noises. Yeah, like... Like, it was a really piss-poor dying scene. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, Mel's looking around for, like, have you seen Meg? Yeah, because he's trying to quest. Yeah. Well, no, it's not questing. It's being a fucking child predator. There's a difference. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Like, you know, questing is one thing. Being a child predator is a complete other thing. But, yeah, he's trying to have sex with a kid. So he's trying to find her. Right. And then goes, have you seen Meg? And they're like, oh, well, she was in the shower the last time. Is what Judy says when he like busts up her makeout party. Yeah. And then he goes, oh, okay. So he walks around and finds her when she, I don't understand. Because when you look at it, like it was done very poorly. But when you look at it, it's very obvious that she wasn't leaning on anything. Right. And then all of a sudden you can you can literally see the actress or the body double or whatever like go forward in order to cause the curtain to rip off. And then she like, you know, flops out in front of him. And he, his reaction was really bad. But he was like, oh, Meg. Oh, 
I know who did this. Yeah, I should have seen it. I should have stopped it. Oh, Meg. Don't worry, Meg. I'll make this right. Which, the relevance of that, if you haven't seen the movie and you're only, like, loosely following the story because we're skipping, like, a lot of unnecessary bullshit. Yeah. The non-fun parts. Yeah. So, the reason why uh, this that statement is relevant is because the whole movie you're led to believe that he believes that Ricky is the one doing it. Yeah, like the hunting knife that was in, that was uh, uh, Mozart's, and then, you know, everything that has happened has been directly after someone has done something to Angela, that he has been a part of everything, so. Yeah, like the water balloons, and the cook being weird, and. Well, even him saying, I'll fucking kill you to Bill when he was on the roof. Yeah, and then Bill dying. Yeah, Bill dies, and then Mel's like, oh, I know it was him. So now Mel's on the quest to kill Ricky. Yeah, because he is under the impression that this was all him. Yeah, because he he does it, and I believe he says that he did this just to spite me. He knew I loved you, Meg, and I'm like, you're a fucking predator, dude. Yeah. So that happens, which, okay. And um, then Paul comes, and I I just wanted to say, you know, Paul's like begging Angela for forgiveness. Yeah, because uh, he was making out with Judy. Yeah, he gets caught making out with Judy, and then she's like, Meet me by the boat docks at this time. And he goes, oh, golly, yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a super jolly good one. Because his, in his mind, he's like, oh, I'm getting laid. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That ain't what happened. No. But anyway, um, then we go to Mel going full fucking crazy. Yeah. And then the next one is Judy. Okay. You want to talk about the Judy kill? Not specifically. Okay, because the Judy kill is my favorite kill. Really? Yeah. Well, then, yeah, you should definitely be the one because I wasn't a huge fan of it. Really? I mean, it was fun. I don't know, dude. Nothing beats the fucking already getting boiled, bro. I didn't like that one. It was like, okay. It, the practical effect was just why I really liked it. Like, the practical right. effect on it made me, made me feel something. Well, this, because you don't see anything, is why I like it. So that's it, why I don't like it. Oh, okay. That's why we're different, I guess. But basically, what ends up happening is uh, the door opens, and you can see that it is Ricky in the doorway with the with the knife. And the lights are off, so Judy doesn't know who it is. And she's like, well, come on in and leave the lights off, or we're going to have to go to that stupid social. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, you bitch. So then, you know, Ricky walks in. Because you can, you can see that it's Ricky at this point. You know, killer's been revealed. Spoiler. And Ricky walks in, and because she had kissed Paul, because Ricky and Angela both walked in on that one and hurt Angela, because Ricky's love interest was Judy this whole time. Right. Okay. Um, what ends up happening is she goes, oh, it's you. What do you want? Which is kind of how she's been treating him this whole time. And then he just like one, one punched her, yeah. knocked her ass out, and then puts a pillow over her head. And she was using a curling iron. So he grabs her, puts her up, and then uses the curling iron to kill her. And I'm not going to describe how he does it. I'll let you use your imagination because it doesn't show anything. Um, but he has a pillow over her head. And her hands go in the air, and she screams. And she wasn't wearing any pants. So what do you think he's using the curling iron on? Well, there's a song by Cannibal Corpse called Fucked With a Knife. Oh. So I um, I actually I wrote this down, Fucked With a Curling Iron. Oh. Yeah, so that's how she dies. It doesn't show anything, but 
and, and that's what I think I like about it is it doesn't show it, but it makes it ten times worse not showing it, you know? See, I feel like if they showed it, it would be worse. No. I feel like it would be a lot worse. No, I feel like making you think about it is worse than actually showing it to you. I think if they showed it to you, you'd be like, oh, okay. But the fact that you don't see it and now you're thinking about it like, oh, my God, is that how that would work? It just makes it worse. Now you're going down the rabbit hole. So, you know, I feel like that's wrong because when I think about it, I just feel like there's not enough information to know what it would actually be. I mean, yeah, I guess you you like to see it and I don't. I like to use my imagination. I mean, with some things, like, imagination only does so much. Yeah, I can only imagine dragons sometimes. Yeah, if imagine dragging these nuts on your face. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> That's not my joke. I don't know where it's from, but it's not mine. Oh, so the next thing that I have is Ben being a fucking idiot. So the next thing I have is the end scene. Oh, okay, <laughs> so I'll talk about a couple of things. Okay, so the next thing that I have is Ben's a fucking retard. Yeah. And he leaves this group of kids out camping alone and then you see the pov shot of like the hatchet and we're like oh okay all these kids are about to get fucked up um mel finds ricky and beats the living fuck out of him and goes i got him just like i promised you meg yeah and then he finds out that it couldn't have been ricky no because he goes it was you and then shot through the throat with an arrow yeah which was a classic yeah. Friday the 13th kill. Um, and then... The Friday the 13th version was better. It was, but that's not the point. And then, you know, Ben gets back and, uh, you know, as in wise words, the system of a down, chop suey <laughs> on the remaining kids. And then we can talk about the ending because everybody's going into a panic because there's a killer on the loose. It's very obvious. People have found, you know, bodies and Ben's been like, I left the kids alone and now they're, you know, chop suey. Um, so everybody's in a panic. And Ronnie and I don't know who the other person is. She's been kind of irrelevant, but Ronnie has been through this whole thing. Ends up going to figure out where this noise is coming from because they hear something. So I'll let you describe the last scene. So the last scene is um, controversial. The first time I watched this movie, the final scene made me very uncomfortable. So, the first time I watched this movie, I didn't know that the ending was controversial. I had oh, yeah. no knowledge of it. I knew that it was a, like, when I watched this movie the first time, it was a must-see horror. You know what I'm saying? It was, like, all of the, but it was, like, all of the groups of, like, Facebook I was in and all of the, like, horror stuff I'd read said, if you're into slashers, if you're into campy stuff, you have to see mm-hmm. Sleepaway, Sleepaway Camp. Camp. Yeah. But I never knew what the ending was. So the ending, it pans over and you see uh, Angela screaming. Well, no, because I want to set this up. Oh, well then. Oh, well, no, we'll, you're, we'll get, no, okay. Yeah, you're okay. You're okay. You can set it up better than I could, yeah. for sure. So Angela tells Ricky to take off his clothes and smiles and, you know, or Paul, not Ricky. And Paul's like real excited at this point. He's like, oh boy, we gonna fuck. And then it shows, you know, Angela butt-ass naked cradling the butt-ass naked uh ricky and she's like stroking his head of like his head right his hair and when ronnie walks up on her this happens because you realize that she's uh just stroking a head that has been decapitated and then you see her wiener what yeah with the great line it's a boy yeah so the the uh end of this movie has been described as like transphobic and stuff Mm mm-hmm which I feel like that's, like, not what the movie's about. 
like I feel like them being or I feel like Angela being a trans person uh I think it was a forced trans person based on yes. like the ending scene so like or based on other scenes that are shown well no based off of the ending because mm-hmm. it's revealed that the aunt yeah made made it because um the boy whose name I don't remember died a, no the boy survives the sister dies right but the way the aunt wants it to be or you know is the opposite yeah. so she she just calls him Angela and says I've always wanted a little girl never got that but here we are and isn't that right Angela oh Angela what a, a beautiful name it means angels yeah exactly yeah and I feel like uh I feel like that like a lot of people try to interpret this movie as transphobic. I don't think that's what it's supposed to be. No, I don't think so either. I think that what it is is it's, you know, less uh, culturally and socially aware people of the 80s thought it would be a frightening twist. Right. And it, it is a good twist. Like, it's an awesome twist. Right. But I think that part of, I think that the issue that people have with it is just a modern day issue of, trying to apply today's standards to art from a different time. Well, and I don't even think that that's the part. Well, I mean, that's not the part that I thought was shocking. The part that I thought was shocking is the noise. Like, the noise that is made, I can't... Well, I can't unhear it. No, I can't ever unhear it. And the fact that this scene was shot with a random college student who we don't know the name was paid an amount of money to basically get blackout drunk and wear a papier-mâché head of felicia rose while standing there naked yeah and made a noise somewhere between screaming and hyperventilating that was terrifying i mean i yeah no the noise the first time i saw it was like really really good and the paper mache face is it's honestly frightening because it looks like the eyes are darker it's like a little elongated oh yeah and then you can see the eyes move because it's his eyes and then when he's like moving his tongue yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's weird. But yeah, that that's the ending. Yeah, which and roll credits. Roll credits on that image of his face. Yeah. So, but yeah. Overall, fucking awesome. Fucking awesome, yeah. No. And I I agree. I think that it was supposed to be a shocking twist for the time. Yeah. But when you apply it to today's standards, it's like super fucked up. But yeah, it, exactly. I mean, it's a product of its time. I don't think that it necessarily makes it a bad film. I think that it makes it kind of shocking. Yeah, I mean, you just have to be able to watch it with an open mind, I guess. Yeah, with sis, with uh, with an understanding of like the times were different. It was the eighties. Yeah, exactly. It's just like when you hear about like kings marrying thirteen-year-olds. Like, yeah, it's weird, but it wasn't weird for them back then. So, is there anything else that you want to talk about before we get into Taylor talk? With this movie, no, I'm good. Other than if you haven't seen it, even though we spoiled it, you should still see it. Yeah. Or at least look up, like, the last little bit because the ending is still awesome. Well, and, like, recommendations, I guess, would just be any campy horror yeah. movies. Friday the 13th, Cabin in the Woods. Evil Dead. Evil Dead. In pretty much any movie where the plot is there are a bunch of teenagers in the woods dying. Yeah, that kind of sums it up this yeah. one was pretty easy to do recommendations for yeah you'll love them all because it's you know it's a trope fest super trope fest wasn't a trope at the time but anyway yeah so for for taylor talk this one's gonna be a little controversial i don't know if i like this okay well we don't we don't have to do it 
Um, if you don't want to. No, we can't. I don't actually care. Oh, no, because it's going to get... It, it's going to go somewhere. We're going to get canceled. I don't know, because we're going to talk... So, what you talked about today, you were kind of like leading into it, and I was trying to steer you away from the conversation so you wouldn't really talk about it, but we're going to talk about trauma. Trauma? Okay. I yeah. don't know if we should talk about trauma. Okay. Well, I mean, like, this is a very... Broad? No, because the opinion that I have on trauma is super hardcore and a lot of people don't understand it. Well, I mean, trauma is perspective. Well, and that that's what I'm saying, and that's the problem. Because when we talk about trauma, we're going to use a really example, like a really big example. Um, so you, what you talked about was like kings and queens marrying children, right? Yeah. Why was that not trauma? I mean, it might have been trauma for the individuals involved, but it wasn't societal trauma because it was a norm. So then where when does it change? It like, why is it trauma now? And Because, I mean, even if it was trauma back then, it was trauma in my, which obviously this is just my opinion. Yeah. I'm not a doctor. But in my opinion, the reason, because it may have been traumatic back then and it might just not be documented that way. Mm-hmm. But the reason why it's traumatic for us hearing about it now is because society has made it to where it's like a super bad thing. Which I'm not saying it's good or bad from my personal perspective. If from my personal perspective it is bad because that's what society has taught me to believe. But if you're able to look at it objectively instead of subjectively, humans are animals. And when humans start going through puberty, based on pretty much every other species that I know of, they start like having sex and stuff. Right. So humans doing that is weird because we've been taught that it's weird because we know our brains aren't fully developed until we're in our 20s Mm -hmm. but back then they didn't know that so they were like oh animals start fucking when they start getting their periods and when they start you know whatever so humans can do the same thing and it's not a problem that would be my assumption but i don't actually know well so my argument with it is the death rate was not what it is today Right, so you live longer to be able to reflect back and be like, oh, that was a fucked up thing that happened to me? Well, no, not even that. Like, the the rate of life expectancy was like 30 or 40 back then. Right. So you would get these people that wanted to continue their legacy, and they would, you know, impregnate like a 13-year-old girl or whatever because she was young and she's technically not at the life expectancy yet, and she can give birth to a child and I could die at any second. So because of, you know, disease and death around every corner in the form of people just butchering each other it's kind of one of those things where i think it's just like this is what happened this was the way of life it's like if your parents died in front of you back then it was kind of like okay that's sad but it wasn't like traumatic right i don't know i still feel like it was probably traumatic they just didn't have those words to describe it well yeah i think that's the problem when you look at trauma and shit i think that it is a label that you put on something and i think that things are only things are only traumatic if you make them traumatic you could take like a situation of a parent dying or something in front of you or even like a person dying in front of you and if you don't label it traumatic then it never is because you are giving the power to the instant or to the incident by labeling it as something i think that's like the power of labels i mean so from like if you're looking at it objectively mm-hmm. from like a large enough like scope back, I agree with you. Yeah. But subjectively, like 
there are things in my life that I've been told by doctors, hey, this was traumatic for you. This is a trauma in your life. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I like think about sometimes, but it's not me deciding to think about it. Right. And I don't personally think it has that much effect on me, but I've been told it does by people that I'm supposed to uh, believe because they're doctors. Because they're labeling it as this. But, you know, but so that's why I'm saying it's like, uh, it's like a super subjective thing as to how every individual interprets it. Because me telling my story to people, they're like, oh, that's trauma in your life. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, no, it's just a thing that ended up happening. And, you know, it's fine. It's whatever. It doesn't bother me. But I'm told it does by someone who cannot possibly see my perspective of it. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think it's like the stoic way of thinking, you know, like stoicism. No, no, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't think it's like even particularly being stoic because, because events of everything affects someone differently. Right. So things that have happened, for instance, specifically in my life that other people view and say, oh, that was traumatic. I mean, it might be, it might be traumatic if it had happened to you, but because it happened to me, it's just a thing that happened, doesn't. Well, it's like the the stoic principle of you're letting it, you're not letting it define you. Well, I mean, I don't even think it's a matter of letting it because I don't think that it's a, a, I don't think it's a choice that someone makes. I think that some people it's, this affects me and other people this happened, but it's just a thing that happened. It doesn't define me. Right. It's like, eh, whatever. Yeah. For, for example, my sister, as some of you may know, as you know, my sister's Mm -hmm. in prison. We yeah. lived basically the same life like right. up until, you know, when she started doing hood rat stuff. And I was like, oh, no, dog, maybe don't do that. Right. So it was, uh, it, I'm not saying that it was her choice to, you know, become like she is. But what I'm saying is the bad things that she experienced, I pretty much experienced the same bad things. And for her, it was trauma. It was negative, And now she is who she is. For me, it was just a thing that happened. Wasn't traumatic. I'm fine. And I think it's just the different way that people subjectively view events. And I guess that's what I'm trying to get to is my thing because trauma is subjective yeah. to everybody and it's, and it's different, but it's more of what you label it as. Uh, and I, like in your situation, you know, she it was traumatic for her in a different way than it was for you, but you didn't let it affect you. Well, so see, that's the thing. I think that even without a label being on it, mm-hmm. Like, we're using the word trauma. Yeah. But we could call it, you know, the big sad. Right. So, or, I mean, I guess that's that's uh, that's not necessarily right. We could call it negative feeling. So, I watched a movie, I see someone die, I get no negative feeling from that. Mm-hmm. It's just a thing that happens. Right. Someone else watches same movie, sees person die, they get negative feeling that affects them. They think about it all the time. They can't stop thinking about it, even though they don't want to. But me, I never think about it again because it was just whatever until someone brings it up. And they're like, oh, did you see this movie when this happened? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was cool. I remember that. And then someone else hears the same thing and they're like catatonic and they're like, oh, no, that makes me feel, you know, whatever. Right. When it's the same thing experienced the same way, but it's two different interpretations. I don't think it matters what label you put on it. I think that that will always be there. So do you think that you choose how it affects you? No, I think that it's entirely, it's entirely like hardwired into you. 
like what affects you and what doesn't. Like, I don't think it's a choice because I don't think anyone would choose to unless they want a lot of attention. Right. Unless they want a lot of attention. I don't think anyone would choose to have negative things in their life like that. Well, so I think that it's the way, like, you can choose how it affects you. I I mean, please justify it because I disagree, but I don't know why you think that. Because you are in control of what happens next, right? So if you, if something traumatic happens to you that, like, your parents die in front of you, like your Batman or whatever, right? Right. The way that he coped with it, I don't even like using that word, is he became a vigilante. Right. Right. He chose to do, or he could have chose to let it affect him and control every aspect of his life. Well, no, he chose to let it affect him and control every aspect of his life. That's why he became the Batman and used that initial pain as the source of his power. Yeah, but why didn't he turn into a criminal? Because he made the choice of how to handle it, but it affecting him and it being the only thing that drove him throughout his life Mm -hmm. is, see, that's, that's the thing. That's what we're talking, or that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. What I'm talking about is Batman seeing his parents get shot. That sticks with him forever. That is the driving motivation behind his actions. He's a catalyst. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of if he's a supervillain, if he's a superhero, if he's a vigilante, whatever. It affected him. Yeah, it affected him. It is the reason why he did X, Y, or Z. Okay. What I'm saying is for him, there is nothing that could happen. Mm-hmm. that would make it to where that wouldn't affect him like that. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because of who he is, he is intrinsically affected by that. It is, for him, a trauma. However, someone else seeing their parents die, which I'm not speaking from experience because I don't know, could see that and be like, oh, fuck, that sucked. Right. And then they could go to an orphanage and they could never think about their biological parents again. They could be like, oh, yeah, I had parents once, but who gives a shit? This is fine. Yeah. And it depends on how you interpret it. Yeah, and it's entirely based on you as a person. Like, I don't think that there's, I don't think there's anything like else there. Like, I don't think that it's someone choosing this or that. The only exception is something happening and someone blowing it out of proportion for more attention. Right. Okay. No, I agree with you. I just, I don't know. I just want to see. Yeah. If we could take this like another direction or something. No, like I, I agree with you. No, I mean that's this is a cool direction. I don't know if it's the right episode for something. Right or something like this but <laughs> right no i was just I, I don't know i thought about it while we were talking i was like i think we need to do it so i was trying to i don't know yeah. steer it in a direction or try not to but we'll play I, doubles advocate here i feel that but no i just i just want to say I'm, I'm not a doctor everything i've said is entirely my opinion based on my perspective right and you know if you take the shit i say seriously then you're fucking stupid <laughs> And my, my actual opinion on it is um, trauma is a thing that affects people, but you choose what to do with it when it affects you, like how you handle it, right? I mean, that's fair. Like, that that's my actual thing. Like, I'm, But I'll sit here and tell you the trauma is not real. No, I know, just because to, it makes good content. Thanks for good content, <laughs> yeah, but no, I just wanted to. So I don't I want people to, like, think I'm a heartless asshole or whatever, <laughs> even though maybe I am. I don't know. No, you are. No, I am, so... That's fine. But yeah, trauma trauma's real, but I mean I, I agree with you with what you're saying, but I think the, the main thing that we agree on is how what do you do with it? Yeah, you should use it to uh to spread your stomach out so that you can consume all of the Taco Bell that ever has or will exist. And on that note, this has been Two Idiots One Podcast. I'm Bailey. And I'm Taylor, and thank you for listening. Have a super jolly good evening. Unless you don't want to.
or have a good day depending on what time you're listening to this nope good evening bye-bye bye